This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I asked Kira Butler to begin by walking me through the front doors of the Moms for Liberty convention a meetup that took place a little earlier this month in Philadelphia. So the first thing that I saw and that everybody saw really when they walked into the hotel, it was at the Marriott in in Philadelphia, was protesters. This was the scene in Philadelphia this afternoon, a swarm of protesters gathering in opposition to a controversial group descending on the city. There were, you know, rotating cast of hundreds of protesters, about, you know, probably a hundred of them there at any given time. It has at times been what they call a dance party protest and at other times very impassioned speeches from people who are against Moms for Liberty, a number of groups speaking out against them, which they say this amounts to a hate group. Take a look at the video from earlier this morning. Protesters accused Moms for Liberty. And then you walked into the hotel and, you know, it was ladies in their business casual many of them were wearing moms for liberty merch t-shirts that said things like i don't co-parent with the government there was an exhibition hall where you know you could pick up comic books about american history from a biblical perspective visit the trump merch table where you you would see you know action figures of trump This conference called itself the Joyful Warriors National Summit. Yes. Did it feel joyful when you walked in? No, I would say it felt urgent. Dire. Kira writes for Mother Jones. This was actually her second Joyful Warriors National Summit. She's been following Moms for Liberty for a while now. I found out about the group initially in early 2021 because I had been writing about conservative protests over school closures and mask mandates. And I heard from a source who was in, I think it was North Carolina, and um, had said, oh, my God, there's this group that like completely just took over our school board. This is now a familiar story, the way the pandemic galvanized parents to take a closer look at what their kids were being taught and gave some of them the space to get angry. Moms for Liberty became an avatar for that anger, advocating against what they saw as moral decay inside American schools. And then when I went to the conference last year, and I saw DeSantis speak. They gave him a sword, right? They presented him with the Joyful Warriors sword. It was at that first conference that Kira started to think about Moms for Liberty's more lofty ambitions, beyond just school boards. The meeting this month in Philly, it was like watching those ambitions made manifest. Well, thank you very much. Donald Trump spoke this time around, got a nearly three-minute standing ovation, in fact. I'm thrilled to be here in the birthplace of American independence with the proud patriots of the Moms for Liberty. 
Ron DeSantis was back, too. Nikki Haley spoke, and former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, and businessman-turned-presidential hopeful Vivek Ramaswamy. To Kira, this meetup, it looked like a miniature CPAC. That is, a gathering of an unofficial branch of the Republican Party. If everything about this year's summit was bigger, how much bigger do you think this group can get? That's really the question. How significant is not just Moms for Liberty, but the entire parents' rights movement going to be in the 2024 presidential election? Today on the show, Moms for Liberty is flexing its political muscle. How strong are they, really? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Can we tell the Moms for Liberty origin story? Like who founded this group and what their mission was? Like I first remember hearing about them Back in the fall of 2021, there was a big profile in the Washington Post. Is that about when they started emerging into the national consciousness? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that they probably, they got together maybe in late 2020, and then they officially became a group in 2021. Um, the way that they tell the story, so the two two main co-founders were Tiffany Justice and Tina Deskovich, both of whom had served as school board members in two different counties in Florida, and they happened to run into each other at some kind of awards event. And then they connected. One of them had lost her seat on the school board, right? Correct. So I think that, you know, that was probably part of what went into kind of the... It was motivational? It was. Yes, I do. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It was motivational. Like that was part of what went into her motivation for founding the group. But really, they connected around protesting the school closures, and then mask mandates. And so it was really a a group that was born out of the pandemic. And then as, you know, as they began to work together and as they uh, got together with Leadership Institute and Heritage Foundation, they kind of expanded their mission outside of just pandemic issues to incorporate stuff about LGBTQ curriculum and books and, you know, what they call CRT, their opposition to anti-racism curriculum in schools and sort of their their broader parental parents' rights movement. You mentioned these two other conservative groups that they very quickly began working with. For people who don't know the Leadership Institute or Heritage Foundation, can you just introduce them? Yes. Leadership Institute is a group that was founded decades ago by a guy named Morton Blackwell, and it exists to train conservatives who want to run for office. Heritage Foundation is a kind of old and very well-established conservative think tank. One important thing to note about Moms for Liberty is that they are not a nonprofit. Um, They're a 501c4, which is a different designation. And it means that they do not, in Florida, they don't have to make their finances public. So 
you know, while we can see that these groups sponsor uh, their conference um, and we can see that they work extensively with these groups and that, you know, there even has been back and forth between members of Moms for Liberty going to go work at Leadership Institute, we don't know how much money these groups have given to Moms for Liberty. Hmm. So they started with just a couple of chapters in Florida. How quickly did this organization grow? Very quickly initially. You know, by by last July, they already had the 100,000 members and 38 chapters across the country. In terms of political influence, they also grew quick, quickly. You know, they had all of these school board victories. Was there a particular moment where you realized, oh, I got to take this group seriously? I mean, I think there were a few moments. Like, look at what happened in 2021 with Glenn Youngkin in um, Virginia. Virginia's governor. Virginia's governor. And, you know, I think it was the influence of the parents' rights movement in that election. You know, I think that early on, people kind of dismissed these mama bears who at that time, it wasn't Moms for Liberty. It it was, you know, kind of a different wing of the parents' rights movement. But then it turned out that, you know, that made a huge difference in that election. You know, Glenn Youngkin ended up thanking his, he said, thanks, thanks to my mama bears or something like that um, in his victory speech. So, you know, I, I think it was the pandemic was such a destabilizing time for parents. You know, there were genuinely things to be really scared about and nobody quite knew where to put those those feelings of anxiety. And, you know, Moms for Liberty parents rights offered a kind of a powerful sense of identity and camaraderie and um, security in a really scary time. I keep wondering this one thing, which is that Moms for Liberty clearly rose to prominence on the back of this fear that schools were teaching our kids things we can't control and might not like. So was Moms for Liberty founded to respond to an existing panic, or did Moms for Liberty help create a panic that they then capitalized on? I think the answer is both. You know, panics around children, like this is not new, right? When I was a kid in the 80s, more daycare centers were opening because more women were um, going to work. And, you know, this was, this provoked anxiety in people who were used to the traditional American family, nuclear family setup of dad works and mom stays at home with the kids. And they felt somehow threatened by the idea of moms going back to work. And so there became a kind of conspiracy narrative around child molesters, pedophiles in in daycare centers, that daycare centers, it was called the satanic panic. The idea was that Satan was present in these, these places that would watch your kids while you went to work. So these are ancient ideas around, you know, when there's a, a time of destabilization, panic will often sort of coalesce around the children, the safety of the children. You know, that said, I think Moms for Liberty has found a really great way of taking those fears and turning them into a a rallying cry and making parents feel like if you join this group, then you might be able to control some of these scared, anxious feelings that you're having in this scary time. Hmm. All right. Let's fast forward to 2023. Can you give me a quick read on the Moms for Liberty scoreboard? Like, what are some of the group's bigger victories to date? You know, I think I sort of can't overstate the significance of the school board victories. 
you know, 275 wins out of 500 candidates that they ran is a pretty darn good track record. And it is a kind of a victory in and of itself that they were able to attract, I think it was five um, presidential candidates to their conference, you know, that, that they have the attention of these candidates and that these candidates are, I mean, for lack of a better term, pandering to them. And this is all while the Southern Poverty Law Center classifies Moms for Liberty as a kind of hate group, right? And make no mistake, at the conference, this was a badge of honor. Um, They were kind of crowing about the fact that they had been designated. I don't think it was a hate group. I think they said, I think it was anti-government extremist group or something like that. They they did not designate them a hate group. But um, this, you know, there are many jokes made about like, oh, gosh, you guys are the most fun anti-government extremists I've ever met. Like all of the speakers were making these jokes and the, you know, the moms were just loving it and they were, they, they just had a great time around that. Just before the gathering in Philly that you went to, there was this incident that really crystallized for me the problem with Moms for Liberty's take on parental rights. A local Moms for Liberty chapter in Indiana published a newsletter and it was emblazoned with a quote that was attributed to Hitler. Can you explain what happened here? So this was a newsletter that went out to their members. There was electronically, and it had a quote from Hitler. And I, I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't remember it word for word, but it was something like, he who owns the children owns the future, something like that. And the spirit, you know, if I am being charitable, then it does seem like the spirit in which they meant it was, you know, they were they were saying like people on the left, like who they call leftists are owning the children. And we have to really watch out because that's what Hitler was trying to do too. You know, people who I talked to at the beginning of the conference and some of the speakers kind of said this, they were like, well, you know, that was taken out of context. People got very upset about the Hitler quote, but also it's never okay to quote Hitler. Fine. As the conference wore on, it became almost like the Hitler quote was a badge of honor. Like the speakers were saying that person had nothing to apologize for. Like maybe we should be reading Hitler. And it became almost like a recurring theme, like a callback with people. By the end, Dennis Prager, who's a conservative podcaster and YouTuber, um, in his speech, he said, you know, in a, in a newsletter, a Moms for Liberty member quotes Hitler and somebody cheered. So by the end, it was really something that they were almost the same as the um, SPLC uh, extremist designation. They were kind of reclaiming it and um, using the Hitler quote as as kind of a, a victory. Watching this group kind of digest and repurpose controversy in this way, what did it mean to you? Well, I think one thing that it meant to me was that the way that Trump does politics, which is kind of the, the same, you know, Trump kind of is unapologetically brash. Um, you know, things that he said that it, from any other politician at any other time in history would have been a terrible gaffe and he would have had to apologize. He really made his brand out of owning that and never apologizing. And I think that that the success of that political rhetoric tactic has not been lost on Moms for Liberty. 
they're not afraid to be led by their most radical members. No, and I think at this conference, what I saw was they were sort of egging each other on, you know, urging each other not to apologize. When we come back, mission creep at Moms for Liberty. One of the things that interests Kira most about Moms for Liberty is the way their tactics are spreading. She's noticed people who've been activated by this group, they don't necessarily stay focused on education, but Moms for Liberty gives them a kind of toolkit, one they can use no matter what they're trying to get done. I wrote about a few months back, there was at um, Sarasota Memorial Hospital, which is a public safety net hospital, the Sarasota Hospital Board was taken over by a few members who call themselves medical freedom advocates. They don't believe in vaccines. They believe in treating COVID with discredited treatments like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. And they, these folks um, came to the board of Sarasota Memorial Hospital. And as a result, they you know got people to kind of flood the hospital with complaints and hate messages and threats. And it turned out, like, my reporting found that these folks had really taken a page out of the playbook of the Sarasota School Board, which is led by Bridget Ziegler, current Leadership Institute person, former Moms for Liberty person. So, you know, it's not even just in the sphere of children and schools that you can see this their strategy working. It's now expanding beyond that. Not only have Moms for Liberty's tactics spread, the goals of this group have gotten way bigger than banning YA novels. Now, some of them want to get rid of public schools altogether. At their summit, presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy got a round of applause when he said he wanted to abolish the Department of Education. So Vivek Ramaswamy did say that, that he wanted to abolish the Department of Education. But uh, at last year's summit, Betsy DeVos said that. She spoke at last year's summit and she said that. And that was probably the biggest applause, the loudest applause, the longest standing ovation that I saw of the whole conference last year. And she used to lead the Department of Education, so she, she just yes. to set fire to it behind her. Yes, yes, right. So this has been like a long-standing theme with Moms for Liberty. And I have to say, I did not hear this specifically at this year, but last year when I went to the breakout sessions, it, especially in the question and answer sessions, people would say, you know, while they're teaching this thing about you know, queer identity at my kid's school, what do I do? And the answer was often pull the kids out of school, pull them out of school, um, homeschool, you know, use uh, voucher. Some, some states you're allowed to use vouchers of public money to send your kid to a private school. And Moms for Liberty, you know, one of the things that they're very interested in doing is expanding these voucher programs and, you know, also uh, supporting chartered schools um, rather than um, neighborhood public schools. So, and they're, they're very interested in states and localities having, you know, complete autonomy in terms of what they allow to be taught in schools and just sort of how schools are structured and, you know, wh what you can do with money that has been earmarked um, to support public schools. We mentioned at the top of the show that a lot of big-name Republican figures showed up at the <laughs> at the conference that you were at in Philadelphia. I, I kind of made me wonder, how likely do you think it is that Moms for Liberty or groups like it 
are going to select our next president, or at least the next Republican candidate for president? I think the fact that these candidates all showed up at Moms for Liberty means that right now, the parents' rights movement is still ascendant. That this is, these these politicians are looking around and figuring which groups they need to have in their corner. So right now, they have made a calculation. They've looked at the school board races that Moms for Liberty won. They've looked at what Glenn Youngkin did in Virginia. And they have decided that this is a group that is worth paying attention to. You know, at the same time, the membership is not growing like exponentially or anything. You know, Moms for Liberty is is growing, but it's not growing at the clip that it did initially. And I think it's really important to keep in mind that Moms for Liberty, you know, above all is kind of acting as great PR for the Republican Party. So it's really the symbiotic relationship where Moms for Liberty gets to have a a higher profile because of all of this attention from these Republican candidates. And the these Republican groups, the Republican Party, the Leadership Institute, Heritage Foundation, get to say, look, we care about moms by uh, kind of lending their name to Moms for Liberty. So maybe they're not determining anyone's political fate, but they're certainly... Uh, an important cog in the system. Yeah, I would say that's that's definitely true. I mean, and it, I think it's really too early to say whether they're going to like elect the next president or or the next even the next um, Republican candidate, whether they will be the determining factor. But right now, I think it is obvious that um, this is a movement that politicians are taking very seriously. It's interesting because I can't think of something similar on the progressive side of things. A, a group that would attract, you know, Democratic candidates to speak in front of it, that would have a conference like this, that would act in this way. Can you? Well, no. And it's interesting because, you know, even if you just take the very name of their movement, the parents' rights movement, it's like, well, they're really only talking about some rights. Like, if you're a parent who has a queer or trans kid, then shouldn't it also be your right to make sure that your kid is safe and accepted in school? You know, if your local public school is, you know, getting ignored at the expense of a charter school that is very, you know, well-supported, isn't it also your right to have a public school that serves the community? You know, these are also parents' rights, but it seems like this, the conservatives have been very successful in claiming that movement and claiming the phrase parents' rights as their own and as reflecting their values. Kira, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really grateful for your reporting. Thank you so much for having me. Kira Butler is a senior editor at Mother Jones. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Paige Osborne, Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Madeline Ducharme, and Anna Phillips. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Go track me down on Twitter if you want. I'm at Mary's desk. Catch you later. <laughs>